Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his sermon series, Fit to Fight, Put on the Full Armor of God. Today's message, Part 7, The Secret of the God Sword. Here's Dr. Tom Goodman. The last several weeks we've been in a study through piece by piece of the armor of God. And we conclude the study today with that last line, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, why is the Word of God compared to a sword? And how do we uh, do this command? How do we take it up and put it to good use? Two questions. Let's deal with the first question first. Why is the Word of God compared to to a sword. I mentioned at the start of this series a few weeks ago that when Paul was writing the letter to the Ephesians, he was in prison. He was under house arrest, but he was between two guards, so he was imprisoned. And I'm sure as the days went by, as he listened to these guards talk with each other, as he talked with them himself. He heard a lot of stories about battles and about how different pieces of armor protected them uh, during these battles. And so when he was writing the letter to the Ephesians, he said, you are in a spiritual fight. And just like a Roman soldier has physical armor to protect himself in a spiritual fight, uh, or or physical armor to protect himself in in a physical fight, you as a Christian have spiritual armor to protect yourself in a spiritual fight. And so a soldier has a chest protector, a a breastplate, and we have righteousness. And a a soldier has a a, a shield, and and we have faith, and, and so on. And today he says we have a sword. And he compares the Word of God to a sword. Now, forging swords has become a really rare business these days. In fact, one of the few people who do it is a guy named Jim Hrysalis. And uh, it takes him three days to make one sword. For each one, he takes a rod of metal alloy. He buries it in coals purified with sulfur. He heats it up to 1,400 to 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit. Then he pulls the bar out with tongs and he begins to hammer it, lengthening it, flattening it, straightening it, shaping it. He grinds it to remove the hammer marks. And then he quenches it. That's his word. He places it in a vat of some sort of liquid, and that hardens the steel and cools it off. And then he polishes it and sharpens the blade and attaches the grip. It is labor-intensive work. Now, the Holy Spirit is a bladesmith, and he has prepared a blade for you and me to use in spiritual warfare. Now, this isn't the only place where God's Word is called a sword. We find it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Back when we were studying the book of Revelation at the start of this year, it seems like it was 10 years ago, but it was just a few months ago, we were in the book of Revelation. And as we studied the book of Revelation over and over again, we saw this graphic illustrative image of the Word of God proceeding from the mouth of Jesus like a sword coming out of his mouth. There's something so authoritative, something so forceful, something so confrontive about the Word of God that it can be compared to a sword. Now, that certainly describes your entire Bible because the Bible is entirely the Word of God. 
But I think when Paul said to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he meant something more specific, something more incisive when he said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the rima of God. Now, that's the Greek word behind our translation, Word of God, the rima of God. Interesting thing is he didn't use the more common word that we translate word. The more common word in Greek was logos, the logos of God. In this instance, he used the more rare word, rima of God. Now, I don't want to make too much of this because Greek speakers in the ancient world, just as Greek speakers in the modern world, will use these words interchangeably. But if there's anything that differentiates the use of these two words, it is this. The word rima meant a specific word about a particular subject. And so it seems to me that what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 6 is that we need to take the rima of God from the logos of God. We need to take the word of God from the word of God and use it in our specific applications. You know, Christians believe, like I said, I want to emphasize this, Christians believe the entirety of the word of God uh, is provided to us by the spirit of God. It's not just those things that we find inspirational within the Word that are actually the Word of God. The entirety of the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's interesting that the word God-breathed is used there because the word breathed is, comes from the Greek word neustos, and we get air or breath from that word, but we also translate neustos as spirit. And so the Word of God comes to us on the exhaled breath, the exhaled Spirit of God. All of Scripture does so. And yet, as I said in this particular uh, passage in Ephesians chapter 6, I think that Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit takes a word from the Word and gives it to us just when we need it most. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said this, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will, note this word, remind you of everything I have said to you. What is the Holy Spirit's work? He reminds us of what we've already been taught out of the Word of God. We use all kinds of tools and tactics and techniques these days to remind us of things we'd be in danger of forgetting in our busy and distracted time. So, for example, if you have to take a lot of pills, maybe at the start of the week or the start of the day, you separate them out in a pill box that has got the labels of the day of the week so you can remember to take them and to remember that you took them. Uh, We set reminders and appointments on our phone, and we set a little bell to go off to remind us that that appointment is coming up. We do that so that we do not forget. Uh, Somebody said that uh, the older we get, uh, the more we think about the hereafter, because we're always going into rooms and then stopping and going, now what am I hereafter? Even even the the most important ritual of the Christian life, the, the Lord's Supper, which we participated in just a moment ago, was given to us to help us remember. Don't you remember the words twice? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's so good to know then that there are all kinds of things in our Christian life that help us remember what we need to remember. And the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus in John chapter 14, is there to provide that for us. And I think that's why in Ephesians chapter 6, we are told, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. We need a rhema from the Logos. We need a word from the Word at our specific moments of need. Let me give you an example. 
if I am tempted with moments of arrogance and pride and puffing myself up and self-importance, I need a specific word from the Word of God. I've got, I've got three apps on my phone that will get me to the Bible. I've got the Bible app, which is the most popular one. You probably have that one. I have the Bible Gateway app. I tend to go to that one most often. I have the Olive Tree app. But you know what? None of those apps will help me at all if I just have it on my phone. I need a word from that word and maybe a word that the Holy Spirit reminds me of in my moments of being arrogant and prideful comes from Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude, Paul wrote, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, and took the, uh, took the form of a servant. Uh, so we have this word from the word that breaks down our pride and makes us hopefully more humble people. Or here's another example. Let's say that I fall into this season of self-pity. You've been there before, I have too, where this gloom of doubt and self-loathing or self-pity just surrounds your head and your heart for so long. And in that moment, I don't just need a physical Bible sitting on my end table next to my bed. That's not going to do me any good just letting it sit there like some sort of talisman. Uh, on the other hand, and, and also, I, I don't need to just pick it up and desperately kind of thumb through the 800,000 words of my Bible trying to find something that'll pick me up. I need a rima from this logos. I need a word from this word. And it may be that the Holy Spirit calls to my mind a passage from the end of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, something I first learned when I was at a youth camp 40 years ago or more. And that word was, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I take that rima from the logos. I take that word from the word like a dagger, and I plunge it into the gray chest of depression, and depression can go. You see why we need a word from the word? And I think that's what we're finding here in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, take the sword of the spirit. What is the sword of the spirit? The rima, the word of God. You know, that, that imagery of using the sword of the Spirit like a, like, a, like a sword to plunge into your spiritual opponent and all the misery he wants to bring to your life. It, it reminds me of some of those old black and white movies that uh, come on cable television late night. Uh, late at night these days, and maybe uh, you remember some of those shows where uh, the villain has the upper hand on our hero, and the villain has a knife, and he's taking swipes and stabs at our hero who has no weapon, and pretty soon the hero's back is on the floor, and it looks like everything is done for. And then just a, a moment, there's a sidekick off to the side, and he says, here, take this, and he slides a blade across the floor to our hero. Our hero picks it up, and he plunges it into the chest of the villain, and the villain dies. Now, imagine if one of those movies went like that, and the sidekick slides a blade over to our hero, and he pushes it back away, and he says, no thanks, I can take care of this myself. Well, our hero would be dead soon, and the movie would be a dud. That's not the kind of movie we want to watch. In the same way, the Bible tells us here that we need to take up and use what the Spirit has provided for us. And that leads me to the second question we need to ask of this text. The first question is, why does, why does the Bible call the Bible the sword of the Spirit? But you notice here, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that we are to take it up. We are to use it. So how do we take it up? How do we use it? 
When I was 14, uh, I was in a high school that had a fencing club. And it wasn't very organized, and we weren't very good. But, you know, when you're 14 years old, it doesn't really matter. You can put on the equipment and swipe and stab at people, and it's a lot of fun. Now, there are basically two moves in fencing. Uh, there are a variety of moves, but they all fall under two uh, uh, postures. One is to parry, and the other is to thrust. And so when a fencer is parrying, she is in a defensive posture, protecting herself against her opponent. And then when she is thrusting, she is making an advance move to push back her opponent from the position that the opponent has her in. Now, when it comes to the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, there are two uses for it, to parry and to thrust. So if you have your sermon notes, write first first off, God's Word is a defensive weapon. God's word is a defensive weapon. James chapter 4, verse 7 promises us that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And that is such good news to know. His attacks are temporary. They're not sustained. And if we resist, he eventually gives up. In his book, Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs, Bruce Wilkinson talks about the temporary nature of temptation. Some of us talk about how hard it is to resist temptation, and Wilkins had said no. He's actually taken off his rich watch and timed how long it takes for the Holy Spirit to respond to him when he asks for help in the midst of temptation. Here's what he wrote. He said, when I discovered that my emotions right before every temptation were distressed, I remember Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to be our ever-present personal source of comfort. I wondered what would happen if I specifically asked for this comfort in a time of temptation. My simple request went like this. Dear Holy Spirit, you've been sent to me to be my personal comforter. I am in desperate need of comfort. I don't want to sin. Please comfort me. In Jesus' name, amen. That was it, Wilkinson wrote. I took off my watch to see what would happen. Slowly, I became aware of something. I was comforted. My soul felt soothed and no longer in pain. When I turned back toward that temptation, I discovered it had miraculously slithered into the darkness far away from my senses. I was free. Wilkinson concludes, I prayed to my comforter many times since. The Holy Spirit always, and I mean always, uh, completes his responsibility in my heart, and he always gives me his comfort within three minutes. Now I call this prayer the three-minute temptation buster. (laughs) Now, many of us, have discovered that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter, comes to us with a word of encouragement from the Word of God, a word of reprimand from the Word of God, a word of reminder from the Word of God, a word of power from the Word of God. And so we need to take it and use it as our defense. We need to parry with it. But we also need to thrust with it. And so that's the other word I want you to write down. God's Word is not only a defensive weapon, it is an offensive weapon. Now, these days we have to explain what we mean by going on the offensive, because the word offensive can mean insulting. And if that's the case, then frankly, sometimes some of our Facebook posts are offensive. (laughs) But when a soldier or when somebody in sports says they are going on the offensive, they are not saying they're going to be insulting they mean they're going on advance. They're going to push the enemy back from territory and regain territory that they want for themselves. We need to use the Word of God not only to parry but to thrust, not only as a defensive weapon but as an offensive weapon to advance 
as well. Now, I want you to think about this, parents. When your kids come and ask you questions, and if they haven't yet, they will, and they ask you questions about any sort of variety of things, but especially when they're asking you questions about morality, about ethics, about what ought to be done, about what behavior is right, what behavior is wrong, and you take them to the Word of God, and you give them a biblically informed answer, you are pushing the influence of the dark Lord away from their lives. I want you to think about this, life group leaders. When you get together with your life group, these days largely on Zoom, and they get together and there's back and forth and conversation about uh, what's going on in their lives, and you bring a biblically informed word back to them about how to uh, be encouraged in the midst of discouragement, how to stand in the midst of temptation, what are you doing? You might be winning back a POW from the kingdom of darkness. There might be some man who's right on the border of giving up on his marriage and what you have to say in your life group, even maybe just off the cuff, even if you don't know what's going on in that person's life, brings them back. Or you're teaching youth or teaching uh, uh, students and and you may not know that there's somebody just on the verge of wanting to give up on life and some word of encouragement that you give them from the word of God is like winning back a POW from the kingdom of darkness. We need to make sure that we are defending ourselves and those we love, but we also need to push back from ourselves and push back from those we love the influences of the kingdom of darkness. We do that through the word of God. Some of the world's greatest fencers has come from a town in southern Germany called Tauberbischofheim. Tauberbischofheim is a town in southern Germany where there is a, um, a, a, an institute, a facility that's set up to just simply train people to use foils, swords, in athletic competitions. Uh, the sprawling complex has a cafeteria, it has a weight room, it has a physiotherapy department, it has a photographer's lab, it has a football pitch, it has a basketball and tennis courts, it has a sauna, it has a massage room, uh, it has uh, all kinds of technical equipment to measure the performance of these athletes. There is a fleet of 30 Mercedes that will take the athletes wherever they want to go. Uh, there is uh, a dormitory. There are even school teachers because some, sometimes people come to get trained at this center uh, when they're very young. Uh, the multiple world champion back in the 1970s was somebody who came to this center at the age of two years old to start training with a sword. All of this was the uh, brainchild of an obsessive, red-faced man, the late Emil Beck, who trained champion after champion after champion. Now imagine all the passion, all the energy, all the expense poured into a center simply to train people to win contests with foils, with swords. Hillcrest Church needs to be a sort of Talbar Bischofsheim. We need to be a place where we pour our energy, we pour our passion, we pour our resources into this place so that we might train good swordsmen. How do you become a better swordsman? Well, one thing you need to do is just keep doing what you're doing right now. Every time you get together with this church, on campus or online, we're bringing the Word of God to you, and you learn to, how to understand it, you learn how to put it into application in your life, you're becoming a better swordsman. 
There's some other things that you need to do. You need to continue to get together with your life group. The vast majority of our church over these last several months have been able to transition to Zoom or other video conferencing platforms, and they've stayed connected with their life group. If that hasn't been you, though, you need to get back involved with your life group. I know you're tired of video conferencing. You do it at school, and you do it at work, and you just don't want to do it on the weekends. But until we're able to get back together physically, face-to-face in front of each other, let's at least get face-to-face on our screens and encourage each other and be encouraged and hold each other accountable and let ourselves be held accountable and hear people praying for us because if we do that, we will become better swordsmen. We'll be better at using the Word of God uh, to be applied in our own particular situations. And then another thing you can do is just what uh, Mike mentioned earlier. Privately, on your own, on a daily basis, you need to open up the Word of God and get a word out of the Word of God. How do you do that? Well, Mike has a video online on our website, on our online bulletin. There's also a link to it, and it will get you to where you can learn how to use the Word of God on a daily basis. And over time, the Holy Spirit will have material to work with to cast to you a sword, a word out of that Word, right when you need it most. You know, it was uh, Charles Spurgeon who said back in the 19th century in England, A Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. (laughs) Now, why is that? That's because when we make regular use of the Word of God, when we get into it, when we study it, we find ourselves strengthened to defend ourselves against Satan's misery and to push back Satan's misery from our life. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a sermon based on Colossians chapter 1 entitled, Getting Jesus Right. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.